Good morning. It is great to be here. It feels kind of dark in here, doesn't it? Kind of weird. Hey, we have a couple of Kenneth people here. Where did you go? Oh, they moved over there. Okay. Judy and Alice are from Kenneth. She's the best cook in the world. Both of them are. The nicest people. See, you want to meet some nice people who can cook well. I don't know why that would do you any good. But anyway, uh, meet them before the morning is over. And uh, I, I've got to tell you this interesting thing. Those of you who have kids going to, who went to CYC this weekend, they had a great time. They're very tired. Uh, these stories that they tell, uh, there's always something on these trips that happen that make them remember this trip as, uh, as distinct from anything else. And here's the thing that has made this trip different than any other. Bed bugs. Bed bugs. They got not one minute of sleep. Abby said, even if they weren't biting you, they, you knew they were there somewhere. So they can't, oh, I just can't imagine that. And, and so I said, well, that's what happens when Michael sets you up in a house. Anyway, so anyway, uh, but, but, you know, they've had a great time, have a great experience doing different things together, but that just creeps you out a little bit, doesn't it? Next weekend, remember how different it is. We will meet here as usual in the morning. The chorus director at Freed is going to be the song leader, and we're going to have 50 or 60 extra voices here. Uh, and... and and that means the singing will really, really be voluminous, right? Really loud, and it should be really, really good. So be sure to be here. And then right after, we're having Murdoch's fish, Murdoch's chicken back there, and we're going to eat to our heart's content. And then right after that, we have no idea of the time, so we're not saying a time. But right after that comes our, uh, 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 an afternoon devotional, and then the chorus is going to sing, and we are done. You don't come back that evening unless, for whatever reason, you just want to come up here. Next Sunday evening, no service, but it's going to be a great experience, and if you can house any of those kids, it'll be well worth your while uh, to put a couple of those kids in your house if you have the room. Remember also Wednesday night, Lads to Leaders, uh, excited about seeing those boys and those girls doing their, their uh, leadership stuff, so we're all going to gather together and, and see that go on. Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be in just a second. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. If you're a visitor, there's nothing wrong. That was Aiden, I'm just saying. Because I saw some people going, what in the world was that? Well, that's Aiden. Yes, and we love that every week. The timing for this passage in Matthew chapter 5 couldn't be more perfect, although eerie. Been traumatized by another senseless school shooting, and everyone is on edge, and everyone's angry, and everybody wants something done to fix this, to keep this from happening again. And I'll watch these political pundits stand up there and do their little monologue and say, Congress needs to do something, and Trump needs to do something. They don't really know what to do, they don't really know what the answer is, but Congress needs to do something. There's anger and frustration, and there's some saying, Limit the guns, go after the guns, and there are some people saying, Watch after the mentally ill more carefully. Go after those folks. Jesus offered a solution, 
or at least a way to deal with this years ago that so many people don't even see, and that's what our passage is this morning. He offers a solution that's not legislated. This is not a political, governmental issue uh, or treatment that we're offering this morning. You can't legislate this stuff on people. But if you're a kingdom of God person, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, a follower of God, a servant, a disciple, this message is for you, and it's your role of how you live to deal with this issue in our culture. Jesus really does have a solution, and I think it works. problem is you can't make people do this, but Christians do this. You see, we are under the U.S. Constitution, but there's a Constitution greater than that one to us. There's one that takes precedence to that to us, and it's called Scripture. And in particular, the Sermon on the Mount that guides our behavior is much more important and central to us in our lives than any constitution is. We already know the preface to this particular passage. It goes like this. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You've got to do better. Your righteousness has to go deeper. We know that already. And in this particular section, these Pharisees felt righteous and holy if they came to the end of the day and they laid their head on the pillow knowing they hadn't stabbed anybody to death. How many of you have ever been tempted to stab somebody to death in the middle of your day? But you've never done it. If you have, don't admit it here now because you'll have to have something done to you. Most of us do not have any problem refraining from stabbing somebody to death. We have our days. We drive in Jonesboro. We have those moments. I get it. Mitchell Fitz keeps leading that song, and sometimes I just want to... You know, and LaVon has her ways every once in a while. I'm working with Michael. Just, but but I've, never, I've never really have gotten close to this. And so I have, I have Pharisaic righteousness. I've never killed anybody and never really came close. But remember, Jesus says you've got to do better. Your righteousness must exceed that. How do we do that? How does this command, thou shalt not murder, if taken deeper, gives us a greater righteousness than the Pharisees? And here's what Jesus says. You are not just to not take life. You are to give life. You're to give it. Your job is positive. This is not just restraint. This is also constraint. When God originally gave this commandment, thou shalt not murder, he called for more than self-control that keeps you from taking a life. He says, I want you to value life. I want you to nurture human life in yourself and in other people. Behind this commandment is an assumption, an assumption that's grounded in doctrine. And there's going to be so many people say doctrine is so cold and distant, I don't care about doctrine. Oh, yes, you do. Doctrine is crucial, and here's one of the greatest doctrines of our lives. Human beings are made in the image of God. There's a spark of the divine in every person by virtue of their existence. This is objectively true. I don't care what anybody feels or what poll we take. This is true. Even the atheist who does not believe in God has to live with the burden of the fact that he is made in the image of that God he doesn't believe in. And even if he doesn't believe that, we do. And even if other people don't believe that, we treat them this way. This is our doctrine. We are made in the image of God. Do you believe that? Oh, boy. 
There's our problem with our culture. And you look at Facebook, and I'll swear, I don't think some people think others are made in the image of God. You would not talk that way if you really believe that. You would not treat somebody like that if you really believed it. We do. That's a central doctrine of the Christian faith. And because of that, there's a couple truths that flow from that. Number one is, you have value in yourself. You, you should not struggle with self-worth and self-esteem. The angst of the human questions, do I matter? Am I worth it? Do I count at all? Our, do our doctrine is definitive. When you look in that mirror and you recount your doctrine, I'm made in the image of God. Emphatically, yes, I matter. Yes, I count. Yes, I'm worth it. That is the truth. But here's the second one. So is everyone you meet everyone else is made in the image of God too every person you see regardless of the behavior they're practicing at that moment is made in the image of God and while I treat myself with respect because of that image I also treat everybody else with respect for the very same reason and this is where things can get ugly though because there's a lot of people who don't believe these things and while they're objectively true some people don't practice them and some people don't know them and they act as if it's not true they act as if they are insignificant and unimportant not knowing this doctrine is dangerous a person to believe he doesn't have any value I, we, us as Christians, we still treat them with respect because we know they're made in the image of God. But if they ever doubt that, if they don't know that, and they act like they're not worthy of that respect, it hurts them. There are ramifications to growing up being told that you descended from some monkey with no brain at all and that you're here by random chance and some people start thinking of themselves that way and thinking of other people that way and start treating them that way. There's, that's a totally wrong thing and here's one of the reasons why. You love your neighbor as what? Yourself. What if you don't love yourself? What if you don't think you're significant, you have no value at all, you do not matter, I don't love myself, and you love your neighbor just like you love yourself, which means you hate their guts because you can't stand you either. It's going to flow because it flows from the same premise. You're made in the image of God. And I carry this a little further. Here's a truth that's scary. Hurt people hurt people. That man who abused his wife and abused his kids was hurting, and he had been hurt before too. That person who kills another person had been killed somewhere along the line. Hurt people hurt people, and it, it, it just goes worse and worse. When people, uh, and notice what Jesus says is that killing isn't just about stabbing them with a knife, it's about killing them with words. When a person who has God's image in them is treated as if they did not, they begin to believe it, and that very delicate flame of an awareness of your God image is puffed out. 
And when people speak to him or her with contempt and disregard by calling names and placing labels on them, the awareness of their God image is threatened. And when people look at them with disregard, or even worse, they won't look at them at all, that image is attacked again. And when people act toward them as if they're invisible, as if they have no value, as if they are dead to you, the person starts to lose the awareness of their God image. And when society as a whole or their entire class at school or groups of the familiar at school treat them that way, they are injured and they are hurt and they began to act in desperate ways that injure and hurt other people. God never intended this and the solution he gave to it was to make us in his image, to ensure that we respect ourselves and we respect other people. It stops you from killing, it stops you from disrespecting, but if it's snuffed out, if we collectively gang up on them and convince them that they are not worth anything and they have nothing of value or deity in them, you murder them with your contempt and things go haywire. The image of God awareness is snuffed out and they become dead people, walking dead people. Have you watched Walking Dead recently? You know what walking dead people start doing? They start preying on the living. That's what happens. Dead people cannot love their neighbor as themselves because they don't love themselves. How can you, someone pick up a gun? How can someone pick up a gun and start shooting other people their own age without stopping and going, what am I doing? It's because they're dead already and their image of God that they were born with, they were created with, has been snuffed out by somebody or somebodies. They don't care about themselves, they don't care about others, and we are watching the result. Listen to Jesus. You've heard it said, don't take their life. But I'm telling you, in your anger, fueled by your anger, do not use words that also kill and hurt. Take that intent to not murder and apply it to your words and actions. And if you've done wrong, he says in this passage, don't waste time. Go and make it right. And here's what's the interesting thing in this little scenario he gives. If you're offering your gift at the altar, I'm going to change it. If you're sitting at the Lord's Supper about to take of that fruit, of, uh, that, that unleavened bread, and there you remember your brother has something against you that's still out there, an outstanding problem against you, don't take the cracker. Get up and go fix it. Then come back. Here's the interesting thing. Why was it that he had this wrong and he was living with it, but he wasn't thinking about it, he wasn't even concerned about it? Why was it that in worship he remembers? What is it about worship that makes the memory of his wrong come back vividly enough to make him freeze and realize, whoops, I've got an error here, I've got a fix. Why is it in worship that it comes to his mind? Why wasn't it on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? Was he so busy that he was distracting himself from his wrong with his busy life and only when he stopped in worship and only when he gathered around the Lord's table to see what Jesus has done for him, only when he remembered his doctrine of what he believes about himself and everybody else only then does the memory of his wrong come back and demand that he make it right this is work we're doing here this morning when you sing those songs you're bringing the doctrine of God into your life and you're evaluating your life and if there's something amiss let's make it right this is not dead time you're not just biding your time in worship service you're working you're working to bring the doctrine of God to your life and then you're going to live with the results and repentance will always be one
It's the middle of worship that he reflects because you know what we're supposed to do during the Lord's Supper? Let every man examine himself. How have I been treating my fellow man? A few years ago, this is going to date me some, in Youth in Action, they decided to have a class. They gave me a class right after lunch, which is a killer. Have you ever been at a youth rally? And the class they assigned me back then, early 2000s somewhere, was your evaluation of school shootings and what Christians should do about it. And I went and for all the school shootings that were, and all the literature that's out there, there's always all sorts of stuff people write in reflection upon uh, these studies and these interviews with the shooters themselves. I haven't changed my theory much since then, even though many more school shootings have happened. I have this big old thick notebook of all those notes in it, all reading all those studies, and this is what it came down to. There's a lot of factors that were in nearly all the cases. Nearly all of them were bullied in some way, either by their parents or by peers. And that doesn't justify anything that they do. We've all had some of this, but here's my observation. When enough people treat you with contempt and treat you as if you don't matter and you're dead, you come to believe it. And when you come to believe that, you become very dangerous. That barrier God put in you that stops you from being disrespectful or even murdering is the image of himself in all of us. And as long as we are aware of our own and others, we will not let ourselves do that. But if somebody destroys that barrier and we no longer respect ourselves and each other, we will do dangerous things and we will say awful things and we might even pick up a gun and go kill each other. God's solution was his aware of our awareness of our God image. There's a guy right here in, Ar in Jonesboro who taught at ASU for years on killing. Dave Grossman wrote this book that everybody reads and everybody refers to. And he talks about how the, the accuracy rate for shooting in the Civil War and World War I was terrible. People couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And they did studies with people, and here's why. They would shoot over people's heads because no one wanted to kill another human being. They just have this natural inhibition. Something inside me keeps me from wanting to have to kill somebody. And the government decided, the U.S. government decided, and the Army decided, we got to get people over this. So they started training them to be human killers. They'd use simulations and videos to get people to, to view people uh, in a different way. Much like, by the way... The video games our kids play today. And they would condition them to be able to shoot people, and the rates of accuracy in World War II, Vietnam was almost perfect. They have to do something to overcome a natural barrier God placed within us called the image of God in order to get us to kill each other. Our culture has taken some of that stuff and put it into the broad culture through video games and movies, and it's having its effect on people. I'm not blaming it on all those things, and don't come out here saying I'm pointing my finger at any of these things because I'm pointing the finger at all of us. There's something all of us we can do to fix this or to treat this. But what would happen is when people go and they'd go shoot people in movies and they'd come or in wars and stuff, and they would come back, guess what? They were all messed up. PTSD, partly, it's a blame for this. We are not created to kill each other. God did not have that as an intention. And when we do, it messes up the human psyche, right? So what am I saying? Congress should do something, yes. 
Mental health professionals should do something, yes. But the finger pointing must stop going everywhere else, and we must start asking each other something. Every single person in our culture should. It's getting old pointing fingers at everybody else and letting ourselves off the hook. Yelling at Trump and lawmakers and all these people take us off the hook, and it's better if what we do is say, what can we do about it? And here's the answer according to Christ, and that is respect each other. Restore the idea of our divine presence inside of us by being made by Him. When you pull up to a stoplight and there's that odd-looking guy holding a cardboard sign, I don't care one iota whether you give him a dime or not. It may be true he's some lazy guy who doesn't want to work. It may not be true. He may be sincere and it doesn't matter. But don't look down and act like he isn't there. Look up and meet his eyes. Nod your head. There is a human being made in the image of God. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it and reinforce it in your look for him. When you're at school, there's that odd girl, maybe with a slight autism or socially awkward. I'm not saying you have to be her best friend for life. I am asking you to treat her like she is. She's a human being made in the image of God, worthy of simple kindness, a look of our mutual humanity that you share. Affirm her for a second as being a human being. It might make her day, and it might make her awareness of her God image be strengthened. Other religions of the world have what is called a silver rule. Silver rule. Don't do to others as you would have them do to you. That sounds good. It's not near enough, though. It's Pharisaic righteousness. Jesus comes along with the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. You fall into a river and you're about to drown. The silver rule would say, I didn't cause it, so I've done nothing wrong. And they can walk right on by and do nothing for you. And all the religions of the world would say, okay, you're all right. You're no blame. Jesus would say, yes, you're to blame because you need to jump in there and save that person if you at all have the possibility. That's what you'd want done for you. There's a difference, isn't there? Jesus is saying, don't just don't take life. Give life. This morning, I'm going to try something. I'm going to try something that's going to depend on your maturity. It's going to depend on you guys cooperating and being able to see the wisdom of this. Every person is made with a bit of God in them. We believe that as Christians. And this is objectively true. We don't care what anybody thinks. They have the image of God in them. It's like a candle with a flame. We're born with a spark of God in us. And that flame has to be nurtured by all of us in community. People need to be knowing that they are special. They need to feel that they have that divine spark and that it's recognized by other people because God put it there. But as with every flame of a candle, it's very delicate. It's sensitive to all the winds that blow. I agree with the Pharisees. No one should take that and extinguish that image of God in people. But I want to go as far as Jesus does. I don't want us to just not blow out their candle. I want us to nurture it, and I want us to strengthen it. I want us to reinforce it. So this morning, here's what I'm asking. You have the power of life and death with each other. We can actually relit, relight candles of people that have been snuffed out by others. We can strengthen the wick of other people with our words and our actions and our looks. Jason Wills is just waiting to arrest me. 
So do not mess this up. And if your kids are too young to be able to do this, just hold the candle, don't light it. But if they can, let them participate. The sermon is going to go to you now. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Before these guys light it, there's going to be somebody light them at the end, and you're going to light each other's as it goes across. The lights will go out about halfway through. And I just want you to see the lights from the candles. We're going to save a little electricity, and you're going to be a little warmer than normal. If you're in a spot where there are people are scattered, I want you to not hesitate about standing up and going to that other person and lighting their candle. I don't want them to be lit by these guys. These guys are going to start it, but you keep it going. And here's what I ask you to do. Once the one on the outside is lit, they're going to turn, they're going to light the, the next person, and you're going to say something as you do, and you're going to say, you know what, you are made in the image of God. You have the divine in you. God made you that way, and I want to make sure in every way that I interact with you, I just reinforce that. I don't want to do anything that would cause you to question it. But now listen, it gets really, really specific because if it's a husband and wife, if your husband and wife and the husband turns and lights the candle for the wife, I want him to say something. I want him to say, I'm going to make sure that in every way that I talk to you, that I reinforce your value, not only to God but to me. And I want to make sure that our interactions, I do nothing to tear you down. There's too much killing of people with the words we say, even in our marriages, church. You light that thing and you say, I'm going to make sure that you know that you are precious to God and to me and I'm not going to do anything. Now, if you are a parent and you've got your kids here, would you light that, the wick that your kid, of the candles that your kids are holding? And I want you to say, I'm going to make it my ambition to always reinforce you. You always know you're special and you're precious to God and to me. And I'm not, going to, I'm not going to use my words to tear you down or make you relive these images of words that I've said that tear you down. And if on the way to church today, you tore your kids down, I want you to repent when you light the candle. Maybe there's some going forward that happens as you go across in this pew. And maybe, maybe it's a sibling. Well, this is a hard one because siblings shouldn't have to treat each other like this. I should be able to rip them to shreds without guilt. No, no. You say to your brother or sister, I don't care what age, I'm going to light this candle. You are precious to God and you're precious to me and I want to try to always make you know that. Maybe the person next to you, and by the way, since Tuesday, I've been praying that God would strategically place you where you need to be in these pews. And it's really funny to me as I went around today, some of you have been uprooted. Somebody was sitting in your pew and you had to go somewhere else. And I was sitting there the whole time going, hmm. I've been prayerful God will place you because you know what? You might be sitting next to a, a person you don't know well. It doesn't matter. Light the candle and say, you know what? You're made in the image of God. What if they're a stranger? I don't even know if they're a Christian or not. Does it matter? No. It doesn't matter. They're made in the image of God. And you say, even if you're visiting, you're coming through Jonesboro and you're just visiting with us, we want you to know something. There's something we know about you. First of all, you cared enough about God to be here, but you're made in the image of God and we want you to know that as you leave this place. And we're going to treat you that. Anytime you're in Jonesboro, we want to treat you this way. Whoever you're sitting next to, light their candle, and you tell them who they are. You remind them, and you promise them, and the way that we interact as a church, we're going to try to reinforce that in everybody. And if there's anybody here who, for whatever reason, has been tearing down some, your wife, your son, your daughter, this is a time to repent right in your pew as you light this candle. So guys, if you would light the candles, the rest of you do this. The sermon becomes you guys now. I'm just going to give you some time to preach to each other as we light these candles. Thank you.
Amara. Everybody's candle lit. This is what Christians should look like in the world. It's what we look like when we're gathered here on the hill, but we need to take it out of here, and we need to make sure that even people who are not believers know that they have value to God and to us. So as you leave this place today, take these candles with you and take the light with you, and we can make a difference in the world. We're not going to solve all the violence and the hatred, but we can do a lot with it will be a group of people who are very tender in our dealing with people so that we do not harm their awareness of God and we actually strengthen it. Illustration is complete. If you would, blow out the candle as the lights come back on. Some of you may be thinking about Jerry Jones and what he said about the candle, but... You have one more assignment, however, with this candle. You're going to go out into a world where you go to school and where you go to work, and you're going to, you're going to run across people, and you already know in your mind who the, some of these people are, who really live as it seems as if they don't think they have value at all. Maybe they're beaten up by the world. Maybe, maybe people have said things about them so much they just don't have a lot of self-esteem and self-worth. You're going to meet somebody like that, and you already know, I don't want you to do this easy. I don't want you just to pass it off to the first person. This candle this week needs to be given away. You find one of these people at your work or even in your family or at school, one of these people who obviously is not either just not aware of how special they are or maybe they've been beaten up so many times. I want you to take this candle. I want you to give it to them. Yeah, it's already lit. It's got some wax coming down the side. It's a used candle, but I want you to explain what it is. I want you to look at them, and I want you to hand this candle. It's a used candle, I know, and it looks a little weird, but let me tell you what this represents. The fact that you have a spark of God in you, and I believe you do because you're a human being made in the image of God. And I want you to know, I want you to know that I want to treat you that way. 
And I want my interaction with you to reinforce that. And for some of you, this becomes an invitation for an apology. Is there somebody, even at school, I know this, even our kids, I know as good as our church kids are, they sometimes have people at school they do not treat well. If there's somebody like that, I want you to go up to, the, to them with this candle and say, you know what, in the past I've not treated you well, and I'm ashamed of that, and I believe, I believe with all my heart you have God image in you, and I want to reinforce, and I want to apologize. Use it for an opportunity to apologize to somebody. Use the candle, give them away. I don't want to find them at your house if I ever visit. I do not want to find them. I want to see them somewhere. We're not going to change the world all this way. But we're going to be the light on the hill this way, and we are going to honor our, our understanding as Christian people. We are salt and light, and how we respect and treat and look at and interact with other people can make them aware of their value and not less. If we leave this hill, take these lights out in the community, it will stave off hurt and violence. Maybe not on a massive scale. But in some small way, may we be the city on the hill by shoring up our lights and taking them in the world. Do not leave it to Congress. Do not leave it to the health professionals. We are the light of the world. We, as Christians, are who God has called us to do this for. Let's go out, not only act like it, but treat other people like it. Let's don't not murder. Let's give life. This morning, this morning, if for whatever reason you've not done that, and you have a struggle with negativity and tearing people down, and you need the prayers of this church to help, I'm going to tell you this, I have a natural bent that way that I have to fight against, of being a critical spirit. And you've got to fight against it, and sometimes it takes the prayers of other people, and if there's someone in here who for whatever reason you've been using your tongue or using your actions or avoidance of people to hurt others and you need the prayers of this church or you need repentance in the presence of these people, please do so. And if you haven't, but for whatever reason you need to respond to Christ this morning, I'll tell you, there's no greater teacher than our Savior. And being one with Him and being in Him is the greatest place to be. And if you need to respond to the gospel, that's available too. And what you've heard this morning becomes your obligation and constitution for how you live. If there's any response that needs to be made, make it known now as we stand and sing to encourage you.